So, Father, we are grateful that we can come into your presence because Jesus made it possible. We can, it's really astounding when we think about the fact that we can enter into your presence uh, at, at any time. We have access through the blood of Christ, and we have your full and undivided attention. When we look at the Old Testament, it was only the high priest who could go into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do it once a year. But uh, we don't make sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the sacrifice. Every high priest who ever went into the temple or into the tabernacle had his arms full with a, a lamb to make a sacrifice, but Jesus was the lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, because of what Christ did, we can have peace with you. We can have our sins forgiven. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did, giving his life his perfect life, as a payment for our sin. We, we could not pay our debt, but he paid it all. And when we trust in him for our salvation and for forgiveness of sins, we are adopted into your family. And we have a special status as sons and we can walk into your presence anytime. That is an unspeakable privilege. And then we have your scriptures. And they are true and they are trustworthy. And they guide us and they teach us. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, completely furnished for every good work. So we acknowledge tonight, Lord, that we need you, that we need to hear from you. We're all facing situations where we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We, we need your, uh, the clarity that you provide in situations where we're unsure what is the next step. But you promise that you'll show us, that you'll lead us, that you'll guide us. And we are grateful. And if there's a delay, it's because the timing's off. So help us not to rush and help us not to get impatient. If we need to wait for a while at a red light intersection, then we'll wait. Sometimes if we get impatient, we decide to run that light, bad things happen. Yeah, you, you, you can turn a light for us. You can lead us, but sometimes you're up to something that we don't understand or get, and we don't need to understand. If we need to wait, we need to wait. We need to wait with our whole hearts. Open up the scriptures. Speak to each man's situation and each, each man's need. You, you, you know about each guy in this room. You know us better than we know ourselves. We're all needy. 
We all have great weaknesses. We're great sinners, but Jesus is a great Savior. And we're so thankful for that. And we pray these things in his name, the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are commencing a new study. We're going to be in 2 Peter this uh, fall. And because we, uh, you know, put this online and you can access it and all that stuff due to technology, uh, the beginning, the tech guys always want a, a series title. So here's the title for this series on 2 Peter. Last Will and Testament. Last Will and Testament. Uh, 2 Peter, if you have your Bibles, just look for 1 Peter and then go right. That's about the quickest way I know to find this book. It's in the back. If you're in Revelation, go left. You'll come across it. Uh, If you get to Hebrews, Go right. It's in there. And tonight, we'll, we're just going to deal with the uh, opening two verses. And we read these words. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The apostles were men who were hand-picked and called by Jesus Christ. And they are... Men that uh, he discipled and he taught, and for three years they were with him. Uh, Paul was added later. Judas rebelled and was an apostate. But they were sent out, and they wrote scripture, and they went to different areas of the world and they established churches. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. There are no more apostles. Uh, Some churches claim to have, well, we have apostles in our church. Uh, Well, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got apostles. And this is what they left behind. Uh, Paul wrote a lot of scripture. Peter wrote some. But uh, these men were hand-chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here's who he's writing to. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So if I was going to title this this segment tonight, I would title it uh, Learning the Multiplication Tables of Grace and Peace. Learning the Multiplication Tables of Grace and Peace. 
I can remember very clearly in my mind my mom making flashcards. And in that kitchen, in that house in Bakersfield, California, I hated it. But she would go through those multiplication tables and 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 she would um, it's they had to be memorized and the only way you can mem- memorize that kind of stuff is to drill it into your head so that you don't even think about it but it was slow for me it was slow going it was brutal I I I fought her I didn't like it I but but it worked. I mean, three times six is 89. And, you know, once you got it, you never lose it, guys. But uh, it's amazing how you drill it into your mind and you can recall it. And you had to know that stuff. You couldn't get far if you didn't have those multiplication tables down. Uh, Here's what we're going to do tonight. And I'm going to come back to the multiplication. So I'm going to give you uh, a two-part outline tonight, just real simple. Here's what we're going to do off these two verses. Number one, I'm going to give you an essential background of this epistle. Uh, An epistle is a letter, an essential background of this letter to understand what is going on here. Secondly, I'll give you an essential truth for discouraged believers. Essential truth for discouraged believers. Uh, The times that surround 2 Peter are becoming more and more familiar to American Christians. Not at the degree where they were, but if you talk to Christians in Iran, if you talk to Christians in North Korea, If you talk to Christians in many places throughout the world, they get this. In uh, in Africa, they get this, what was going on. Here's the first bullet, number one. Peter was facing immediate death. He was not a young man here, he's an old man. How do we know he was facing essential death? If you look down at 1 Peter 1, verse 14, I'll pick it up in 13. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, that's a metaphor for his body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And throughout this book, he's reminding them of certain truths. We'll see that in a minute. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, my body, watch this, is imminent. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He knew that his death was imminent, not because he'd gone in to get a physical or because he went down to the Cooper Clinic and they came back and, you know, the doc said you got three weeks or you got nine months or whatever. It wasn't for that. The Lord himself, and we don't know how that was conveyed, but he knew his time was short, his time was limited. So this really is his last will and testament. He had written them a previous letter. This, this letter is very purposeful because he's coming to the end of his life. 
Uh, second point under essential background. The great Christian conservative leader Nero was in charge of Rome. Uh, there was nothing Christian about him. There was nothing conservative about him. He was uh, a lunatic who had absolute power, who was driven by the engine of lust, uh, not just sexual lust, but lust for power and greed. He, uh, he had a lust to make a name for himself throughout history, which made for some very interesting circumstances in A.D. 64, he set fire to the city of Rome. Now, if you get a chance to visit Rome, it's, take it. It's a fascinating city, the history. One of the things that struck me is those buildings, um, you can see, you know, a lot of times you go to the Grand Canyon, you can see geological, you know, strata and all that kind of stuff. In Rome, with those buildings, even the new buildings, uh, when they build buildings, they build them on the original buildings. And they've been doing that for thousands of years. So you can see the foundations are different colored and different materials, and you'll have a fairly modern building, and it's built on about seven or eight, nine different foundations, because they don't throw away anything. Really interesting to look at. Um, so when he's writing this, Nero is in charge. Nero wants to make a name for himself. He wants to uh, be remembered forever. So what he does in his crazed lunacy is he burns down the beautiful city of Rome and then he's going to rebuild it and that's going to be his legacy. Now he didn't last long enough to make that happen. But he did burn it. What he didn't foresee was the reaction of the people and the rebellion that was starting to rise. So what he did was he started spreading rumors. Well, it wasn't Nero, it was the Christians. And so what broke out as a result of that was a persecution like Christians had never seen before. Unbelievable persecution of Christians. Uh, this is AD 64. A.D. 65, um, that's when he wrote 1 Peter. Persecution to such an extent, for instance, one of the great um, highways at night leading up to the residence of Nero had, uh, as, as you would drive up with the chariot, very majestic setting, the road was lit by torches. What Nero decided to do each night was to get a, a fresh group of Christians and strap them to the standards and cover them in oil and then light them. And their living bodies would be torched. That's what would light the road as you would make your way into the residence of Nero. Night after night after night after night after night. It was a horrific persecution, if you can imagine living in something like that. We can't, but there are believers around the world who live in that. It's, it's amazing.
There's a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. You can, they'll, they'll update you on what's going on, the persecution of the church around the world. Sometimes you get a sense when, when freedom is taken away, what's, what's going to happen. It's what's happening in Hong Kong right now. I don't know if you saw some of that video of, uh, of millions of people in the streets. And the other night, a video was posted. Those people, and, and you know, they were close-ups. Uh, young couples with their kids in strollers, their little babies in strollers. And as, as night begins to fall, they flick those lighters and they started singing, sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. And they went on for hours. A lot of believers there. Uh, they had a deal. But when you make deals with communists, it doesn't work out real well. And those guys in Beijing are just sitting there and they got their eyes on Hong Kong. And those freedoms are going to be gone. Just a matter of when. That, that would be... Uh, incredibly discouraging and frightening and that whole deal was that if you're arrested in Hong Kong well you'll be extradited to China well Christians disappear in China we don't know anything like that yet but we're watching it in our own country you know exactly what I'm talking about it's coming to a theater near you, whether we like it or not. Don't know the timing of it, don't know the pace of it, but all those who seek to, God, to live godly lives, the scriptures say, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're seeing things now that we never thought we'd see 20 years ago. So this is a very relevant book. Third observation under this First point, the essential background of the epistles. First uh, Peter was written. First Peter was written to encourage believers in the persecution. His previous book. Uh, something interesting about Peter. This is from church tradition. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty viable tradition that was passed on that Peter, when he died, Peter died by crucifixion. But he refused to be crucified as the Lord was crucified, so he requested to be crucified upside down. This after watching his own wife be crucified in front of his own eyes. And he was encouraging her and praying for her and this horrible stuff. But it's real stuff. And believers around the world, I, I read a few months ago about two pastors in an Iranian prison, horrible prison, 
if they would just recant, if they would just deny Christ, they'd be released. They wouldn't do it. They got families, they got kids. They wouldn't do it. I try to pray for those guys daily. Don't know their names, don't know anything about them except that. This will sober you up real quick. You know, you're not thinking a lot about fantasy football in that kind of situation. You're, you're thinking about how to survive and how to live, and you're crying out to God. So 1 Peter was written maybe AD 64, AD 65. 2 Peter, probably no later than 68, because Nero uh, died in 68, and Peter had written and, uh, and was martyred. Paul was also martyred during this same time. Paul was beheaded. So more than likely, as Peter is writing 2 Peter, he's writing from a prison in Rome. Interesting how often Christians in the scripture are in jail. We've had, a, we've had a free ride, guys, for 200 years in this country. That is highly unusual. Highly unusual. So we thank God for it, and we pray that it will continue. So 1 Peter was written to encourage believers in persecution. When you get into 2 Peter, it's kind of interesting. They were still in persecution. Uh, in fact, just a couple verses in, in 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter 4.12 says this. 1 Peter, all right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. I skipped a phrase. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Man, is that counterintuitive or what? How in the world do you, do you rejoice in tribulation? Well, you can't if you're a secular humanist because you believe that this is the only world that there is. But Jesus said there is another world. This is just prep for the next world. Uh, and then if you look at uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 19, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Uh, do, we, do we suffer like these folks? No, but we suffer. Some of you guys perhaps know that your death is imminent just because of the information you've gotten from doctors as of late. You might have X amount of months. Uh, you know, in a, in a sense, death is imminent for all of us. We, we, we think We've all kind of, in our minds, got an idea. Uh, Psalm 90 says this, for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years. Uh, but soon it is gone, and we fly away. 
So in your head, I mean, if you're 20, you're thinking you got, I mean, shoot, you're good. You're fine. And most guys are. But not everybody. You've got friends that have been killed on a motorcycle. You've got friends that have overdosed. You've got, you just don't know. There are no guarantees. It goes on in Psalm 90 and says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Uh, this could be your last day on the earth. What we wanna do is we wanna live as wisely as we can today, making the most of our time because the days are evil, Ephesians 5 says. Second Peter was written to the same people a couple of years later not just to encourage them in their persecution, which was going on. That's kind of a side issue, it's kind of a back issue. The real issue of Second Peter, he was writing to expose the false teachers who would rob them of the true knowledge of God. You say, wait a minute, they're still in persecution and all that? Yeah. And so, Pete, and you're, you're gonna see when we get into this book, I mean, he, he uh, this book is aggressive. He's not missing around. He's not playing church here. This is not a church potluck book. He is gonna go after these false teachers. And he, I mean, he exposes them. He, uh, uh, he talks about their motives. He talks about their behavior. He talks about their destruction. I mean, he goes into great detail. Because there were a lot of false teachers. There are a lot of false teachers today in the church. You can turn on Christian television, there's a lot of false teachers with a false gospel that gives false hope. Flip over to Galatians. Galatians 1.1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're always talking about grace and peace. We'll see that in a minute. Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever more. Amen. Watch verse six. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. There are different Gospels out there. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. Watch this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a Gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Well, I had an angel appear to me. Uh-huh. Well, what do he say? If it's different than this book, even Satan can appear as an angel of light. You see, there are false teachers, there are false gospels, there are false visions. We test the spirits to see if they be of God. How do you test it? By matching it up to the word of God. So the, the, the directive that Second Peter is giving 
to be careful and to be aware of and to look out for the false teachers. So why is that such a big deal? It's a, it's a big deal because false teachers rob you of the true knowledge of God. And when you're in great suffering and great difficulty, the only thing that can deliver you is the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you, if you don't understand the gospel and understand God the Father and God the Son and who they are and what they have done and what they are going to do, you don't have any hope and you don't have any peace. How do people go through persecution like this? How do they do it? They know God. Note uh, the second verse of Second Peter. Yeah, I just thought we'd have a nice lightweight Bible study this semester. You know? Just talk about how prosperous God wants us to be and how healthy he wants us to be. And We're very blessed. We're extremely blessed. God's a good God. He's blessed us remarkably. The guy in this room who is uh, the poorest financially, you live like a king. Just compare your... Well, no, I look around at these other people and yeah, you're, you're comparing yourself to the wrong folks. <laughs> Compare yourself to the people in Haiti or in Africa or in North Korea. You got food. You had a shower today. You got indoor plumbing. You live like a king. All of us do. In... 2 Peter 1, verse 2, he says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, you know what's really interesting about when you, when you get into the scriptures it's easy just to, to read this stuff and to read it fast and then just blow right by it. Uh, there is a very important word that describes what Bible study is. Uh, Howard Hendricks, who was a member of this church and an elder here for a long time, Howard Hendricks was a legendary uh, Bible communicator and teacher and professor at Dallas Seminary. Legendary. You can, you can still get his stuff online. One of the great communicators ever. And he taught a class for years called Bible Study Methods. And one of the principles that he would teach was the importance of observation. And when he would teach these young seminary students, you'd come into Bible study methods and he'd assign you a passage. He might assign you a verse or two. Maybe he'd assign, let's say he would assign uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, one and, verses 1 and 2, okay? Well, we've been reading those. It's not a lot. It's pretty small. So what he would do is he'd give you an assignment. 
He'd say, okay, now I want you to observe the text. And what he would say is, so you want to read it and then read it again and then go back and read it again and then read it again and then read it again and read it again. When you get into double digits, you're starting to get warm. You just read it and then you read it and you observe. So that first class, he'd finish and he'd say, all right, here's your assignment. I want you to uh, bring me 25 principles out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 25 principles. There aren't, there aren't 25 words there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, there are, maybe 40. How am I going to get 25 words out? You need to observe it. Just observe it. You read it and you observe it. Saul, uh, uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. There are principles in that right there. There are principles. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. What's that about? Well, he's going to go on and talk about the false teachers who have a faith of a different kind than ours. It's not the real gospel. It's a fake. It's a counterfeit. It's a fraud. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there are principles right there in that phrase. So you work and you work and you work. Oh, and you haven't even gotten to verse 2 yet. Grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And how many get 25 principles? Well, you know what? You come back to class and you got 25 principles. And you give them to the prof and he looks at him. Great job. That's excellent. Good job. That's observation. You really got into the text. Okay, next week, come back. I want 25 more principles out of that text. That's insane. I'm telling you they're there. So we want to observe it carefully because every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are words to live by. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now this gets us to the second main point. Our first one was essential background of the epistle or of the letter. The second is essential truth for discouraged believers because this persecution had been going on now for several years. They had loved ones who had died. Uh, some of them had been uh, horribly uh, abused in their bodies, had been uh, perhaps burned or maimed or lost a limb or just hor horrific stuff was going on. It's, uh, it's like in World War II when Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was pastor of Westminster Chapel, would preach on Sunday mornings. Well, during World War II, at a certain point, Hitler started sending the Luftwaffe to bomb, to do the blitz every night. Those people that were gathered on Sunday morning, they didn't know if they'd be alive that night. 
They didn't know if their children would be alive because those sirens were gonna go off and they were gonna hit those shelters. And everybody who was there and who was alive had family members who weren't alive. So each week throughout the, that war and while that blitz went on, the congregation changed radically. We, we don't know anything like this. Thank you, Lord. But they did. See, that's when this stuff becomes precious because you live off it. It's all you got. <laughs> when, uh, death is imminent. It's imminent. You could be nine years old and it's imminent. You could be in perfect health and it's imminent. You just don't know. So under this heading of essential truth for discouraged believers, and may I say this? As you look around to what's going on in this country and where we are and you watch, if you can bear to do so, news, uh, do you find yourself discouraged at all? Do you find yourself uh, depressed? Do you find yourself losing hope? Do you find yourself concerned about the future, concerned about not just your future, but the future of your kids and your grandkids? And where, where is this all headed? It, it's not looking real good. And it's just every single day it just never stops. It is anarchy and chaos. Jesus said in the last days, lawlessness would increase. You ever heard of a sanctuary city? What's a sanctuary city? A lawless city. They glory in their lawlessness in this country. Once again, I'm just here to encourage you. But it's where we are and it's what we're dealing with. Okay? So what we've got to do is that we have got to fight. We've got to fight to have any sense of peace, any sense of joy, any sense of uh, encouragement, it is so easy to lose hope. So, I jotted this down. In order to survive perilous times, the believers needed grace and truth. You can't survive without grace and truth. Notice what he says there in verse 2. Grace. The unmerited favor of God, grace and peace. Jesus said, the peace I give is not as the world gives. Grace and peace be multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. I am thankful for the grace that I've received. I am grateful for the peace that I've received. Grace and peace 
to be multiplied in their lives because they're under unbelievable pressure and opposition and adversity and their hearts have been broken. Yeah, you have grace. Yeah, you have a measure of peace. I want it to be multiplied exponentially so that you can endure, so that you continue, so that you won't lose heart, so that you would endure to the end. Great, okay, now the question is, grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right, we'll come back to that. In order to survive perilous times, the believers needed grace and truth, and they needed it to multiply, but it could not multiply unless they were growing in the knowledge of Christ. What he is talking about here, and again, that's what the text says. Grace and peace be multiplied you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So what is it that brings grace and peace to us in turbulent times, in troubled times, in frightening times, the knowledge of God and of Jesus and who they are. That's the only place you're gonna find it. So the last two Sundays I had the privilege of being in the pulpit for Chuck, and the topic was the greatness of God. Because if God is not great, you're not gonna have any peace. If your God is too small, you're going to be defeated. What we believe, really, when you get down to it, the most important thing about you is what you believe about God and about Jesus. And a lot of people talk about, oh, I believe in Jesus and I believe in God, but describe him. What is he like? Who is he? What are his attributes? This, this, this stuff is uh, life and death stuff, what you believe about God, the knowledge of God. So, last two Sundays, I was referring to a book called, interesting title, by J.I. Packer. I said, this book changed my life in 1973. I read it many, many times. I've got six copies fallen apart on my shelf just like this from over the last how many years since 73 I've got the copy I got, I've got my dad's copy with all those meticulous notes he had in it and then I've got some new copies what is this book called it, I mean the, the Bible is a life changing book what he does what Packer does is that he zeroes in in this book, <laughs> what's it called? Knowing God. It's at the top of my list of any book written by a human author. Knowing God. And on those last two Sundays, I quoted from Packer his chapter on the greatness of God. And this afternoon, I taught this at the noon study that we do down in Addison. And this afternoon, I was puttering around the kitchen. And all of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute. 
What's that second chapter in knowing God? I pulled it out. Oh, that one's called the people who know their God. <laughs> That's one of the greatest chapters in this book. Well, I can't quote Packer again. I've already I've quoted him the last two Sundays. Here we go. Packer has this chapter called the people who know their God. It's all time. Uh, so once again, I, I'm going to use his outline because it can't be improved upon. What, what Packer does in this chapter, he gives uh, four traits of people who know their God. So let me give them to you. And then we're going to spend some time in Daniel. Because the book of Daniel, what was going on in Daniel, was very similar to what was going on in Second Peter. Okay? You guys still with me? Yep. All right, good. Um, so I'll give you his outline, and then we'll come back and work our way through it. Number one, Packer says, those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great energy for God. Secondly, those who know God have great thoughts of God. Great thoughts of God. Third, those who know God show great boldness for God. They show great boldness for God. Number four, those who know God have great contentment in God. <laughs> I mean, you can live off that outline if you just ponder it. So w w the first one, those who know God have great energy for God. Let's turn to Daniel. So you want to go left, and if you get the Psalms, go right, and if you're in Isaiah, go right, if you're in Ezekiel, go right. So what happened in Daniel? If, if you were here last Sunday morning, I, I talked about uh, the fact that um, the people went into captivity for 70 years, and be, because of the unbelief that they had shown against the one true God for hundreds and hundreds of years. They not only would not listen to the prophets, they killed the prophets. By the way, Isaiah himself, Christian tradition tells us, is that he was put into a hollowed out log and sawn in half. You probably don't want to uh, apply for the job of prophet. They, they, Things tend not to go well for prophets. Uh, they're, they're irritant to people. Uh, so Isaiah was a prophet. That's what happened to him. But he said in Isaiah 39 to King Hezekiah, hey, what's going to happen is a great king's going to come from Babylon and he's going to take this rebellious nation and you're, they're going to go into captivity. That's Isaiah 39. And he said it 150 years before it actually happened. So Daniel and the boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in Daniel chapter 1, 
they were taken into captivity, although they loved the Lord. Uh, Daniel 11, and, and it wasn't a pleasant deal. It wasn't pleasant at all because they were taken into a, a godless nation. But in Daniel 11, what's going on in Daniel 11 is that da Daniel's looking way into the future, into the end times when the Antichrist is gonna show up. And in Daniel 11, verse 32, we'll just jump in. Speaking of the Antichrist, by smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. All right, watch this. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. So see, when when a nation or a leader, when a culture rises up against the living God, the people who know God, do they just passively sit in the corner, suck on their thumbs? No. What do they do? They'll display strength and they'll take action. You see that all the way through the book of Daniel with Daniel and his three friends. Quote from Packer. He says, this shows us that the action taken by those who know God is their reaction to the anti-God trends which they see operating around them. While their God is being defied or disregarded, they cannot rest. They feel they must do something. This, the dishonor done to God's name goads them into action. And it's different action for different Christians. But you just don't get passive and you don't get cowardly. Uh, if you have an opportunity to speak, then speak. You don't fear man, you fear God. Well, I was just minding my own business and I've got a lawsuit because I wouldn't go along with this or this. Okay, so be it. I don't know what I'm gonna say. Jesus said it shall be given to you in, this, in that hour what you should say. He's with you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So you can't get passive in this deal. Now, you, you need to be balanced, and you need to be wise, and you need to be stable, and you need to have good counselors and men that you walk with. I mean, a model of how to live the Christian life is Daniel and his three friends. We don't, we're, we're not... Uh, we're not all out riding the range by ourselves like John Wayne or the Marlboro Man. In fact, if you're, if you're a loner in the Christian life, you're going to get picked off. You are easy pickings for Satan. Because he'll try to separate a man. The Bible says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. If you're not walking with wise men, you're toast. And in the abundance of counselors, there's victory, Proverbs says. So who, who are your counselors? Who are your friends? Do they know the Lord? Do they love the Lord? Do you respect their walk? Not that we're, we're not ever with unbelievers, but the guys that influence you. <laughs> you, want guys, you want guys following Christ. And when one's down, the other one's up. The two are stronger than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Christian Post. There's a lady I'm not familiar with her. I think her name is pronounced Pavi Rasanan. 
uh, it says Finnish politician under investigation for citing Romans to oppose LGBT pride. For citing Romans. A Christian member of Finland's parliament is under investigation after she cited the New Testament on social media to voice her objection to the Lutheran's church participation in an LGBT pride event. In June, Rasanen, this lady, a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland and former chair of the Christian Democrats, took to Facebook to criticize, boy, they're sure open, aren't they? What a great forum that is. They just shut down a pro-life group the other day. Took to Facebook to criticize her denomination's participation as an official partner of the Helsinki Pride Parade. How does the church's doctrine, the Bible, fit together with the cause where shame and sin are raised as a topic of pride? She cited Romans uh, 1 and posted a picture of the passage from the Bible. Well, now she's, she's got charges leveled against her. But uh, what, what did she do? She took action. She did Daniel 11. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. And they asked her, are you worried about prosecution? She said, not really. Well, could it happen? Yeah. Is she worried about it? Not really. Why not? Because she knows her God. That's why. Okay. Second point from Packer's outline. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Flip over to Daniel 2. So in Daniel, you got all these kings. You got Nebuchadnezzar, and then you got his grandson, and then you got Darius the Mede showing up, and you got all these kings. What, what the book of Daniel is about is to show, these kings are the most powerful men on the earth. The book of Daniel is to show, and they call these kings sovereigns. That means absolute control. One of the purposes of Daniel is to show that God is sovereign over the sovereigns. It's to show that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords because of who he is. So in Daniel 2, you got a situation. And here's Daniel and the boys, and uh, you know they're taken off into captivity. And they're, they're probably part of the royal family in some way, shape, or form. And so they were put into this like, uh, you know, Ivy League uh, uh, master's program, uh, diplomatic program, uh, Harvard MBA kind of thing. And so they're, they're giving them this curriculum and they're giving them, they got this workout plan and this diet and this whole thing. Daniel won't eat the food. That, that's a whole, that's in chapter one. But it turns out Daniel's right. And God honors that because he had his convictions and he wouldn't compromise his convictions. Then you get into Daniel two and Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. Most powerful men on the face of the earth. I mean, the Babylonian empire, it made people go out and buy depends in bulk. They'd scare you to death. They were huge. You could not, I mean, they just overrun you. You could not stop the, these people. He was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. 
It says in uh, Daniel 2, now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. You know why Nebuchadnezzar got troubled in his sleep? Because God made him troubled in his sleep. God said, dream this. He's not sovereign. He's some guy that has to go to bed. Just like you, just like me. Just like every other man in the history of the world. We run out of gas. God never gets tired. Ever. God's never lost an ounce of energy. God controls all people, all things, all events. He's sovereign. So he has a dream. It freaks him out. He calls together his counselors from Harvard and Yale and Stanford. And, you know, and the way it works, you know, these guys got a nice living, really nice. They got a consulting thing on the side. I mean, they're set for life. And the king will tell them the dream, and then they'll get together and say, all right, how's this sound? Let's tell him it means this. And they go, okay. Okay, king, it means this. And he goes along with it. And okay, everybody's fine. And they have a few drinks. That's how they do it. But he's not screwing around here. He's so freaked out by this dream. He says, listen, I'm not messing around if you read the passage. he's, He's scared to death. And what he says to them is verse eight, and they don't have an idea of what it's all about. The king replied, look it, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you've seen that the command from me is firm. The, the command that was firm from him is if you guys are so cotton picking smart, you tell me what I dreamt and you tell me what I meant, what it means. Well, oh, king live forever, you always say to the king. Well, there's not a man on the face of the earth who can do that. Actually, there is. His name is Daniel. So, a few verses down the road, they're telling the king, uh, what the king demands is difficult. There is no one who could declare it to the king except God, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Well, they don't know Jesus. So he says, I'm going to kill all of you. You don't tell me I'm killing you and all the guys in your club and all the guys who went to your school and all the guys in your fraternity. I'm killing all of you. So they're freaked out. That's 12 and 13. Then Daniel finds out about it. And he said, what's going on? So the decree in verse 13, the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. They looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, uh, for what reason is the king's decree, uh, the, the decree from the king so urgent? And he informed Daniel of the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. That took some, you know. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah. Testicle fortitude. Is that what you said? (laughs) Give me some time and I'll tell you what it means. And I'll tell you what you dreamt. Not because of him. He knew God. That was no big deal for God and he knew it. So what happens? He goes to his buddies, verse 17, and they pray that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. 8, 19. Here's, this is great. Watch this. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. 
God said, all right, here you go. This is what the guy dreamt. This is what it means. Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel said. Now, what's the second point that we're on? Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Look at his thoughts of God. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. How much wisdom does God have? All. How much power does God have? All. Watch this. It is he who changes the times and the epics. You have a change in your life? You're not real happy about it? Yeah, I like the good old days. Well, everything's changing. Well, let me ask you something. Really? Who changes the times? Who changes the seasons? Who changes the culture? Who's God? Because he's in absolute control. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. We're fortunate in this country we can vote. Every time there's an election, I vote, usually four, five, six times. I just drive around town and hit the different precincts. You vote, I'm gonna vote, you vote, this guy votes. This is a great country, it's an amazing country. Um, you don't even have to be a citizen to vote. You can be dead and vote numerous times. Yeah, that's what upsets me. You don't need to get upset. Well, why not? Because it is God who raises up kings and sets them down. Whoever wins the election, it was determined before the foundations of the world, they would, who would win and who would lose because he sets them up and he takes them down. And sometimes he puts in the guy I like and sometimes he puts in the guy I don't like. But he's God. Yeah, well, why would he put that guy in there? Because I don't get that. I don't like that. Isaiah 55, 8, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. I'm up to stuff you know nothing about and you couldn't understand it if I explained it to you. You don't have the bandwidth. So you let God be God. He knows exactly what he's doing. There's a plan for the ages. And it's right on schedule. It's more exact than an atomic clock. And there will be an Antichrist, and there will be a tribulation, but Jesus is coming back. And he will, he will rule and reign forever. So go eat a, tree, a cheeseburger. Have some fries. Right? You need to freak out here. God has got this. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. He knows who God is. And then there's this, and then this Nebuchadnezzar guy, in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is gonna throw the three boys into the fiery furnace and because they won't bow down. And they say, king, you know, Bow down or I'm going to take your life. We don't even need to give you a response, O king. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. Why? They knew their God. And then he's looking around, and, and, and he's, he, they're walking in the flames, and, and they're not even singed. And he goes, do we, how many guys did we put in there? Three. I see a fourth one. And his appearance is like the sons of God. Yeah, it's Jesus how great is our God? It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'd think Nebuchadnezzar would repent. He wouldn't do it. So then later in Daniel, he has 
another dream and he wants Daniel to interpret it and Daniel gets all concerned because it's not a good outcome and he says, King, it's you. And what's gonna happen is that because of your rebellion, God's gonna give you the mind of an animal if you don't repent. And he listened and he ignored it. And so for seven years, he's grazing in the fields with the Angus. What's interesting, it's, that's accounted for in Daniel 4. All this happened in Daniel 4.28. All this happened in Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great? And it was one of the wonders of the world, which I myself was built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty. While the, king's, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the fields. And that's what happened. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away and he was with the cattle for seven years. And then in 34, Nebuchadnezzar speaks. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. Why? Because God gave it back to him. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Watch this. This is Nebuchadnezzar, the proud. This sucker got saved is what happened to him. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. What's the second point here? Second point is, those who know God have great thoughts of God. This guy got humbled. Now he's got great thoughts of God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. It sounds like Isaiah. And he does according to his will in the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing great notes added to me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise, exalt, honor the king of heaven for all his works are true. All his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Yes, he is. That's what God does with men. And we're all afflicted with pride. We all have the virus. And what does he do? What does he do? He humbles us and he saves us. He takes us down to where we can't even hardly breathe or function. Jesus, help me. He's there. Third, those who know God show great boldness for God. Well, we already saw that. That Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King, it doesn't matter. You can throw us into that fire. We don't care. Our God's able to deliver us. Even if he doesn't, we're not, going, we're not bowing down to that God. Why? Because they weren't afraid of death. Because their God owns death and has conquered death. Four. Those who know God have great contentment in God. Those who know God have great contentment in God. Even when there's persecution. Even when Christians are being thrown in jail. Even when Christians are being tortured. They have great contentment. Why? 
because grace and mercy has been multiplied to them in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The proof of that would be Romans 8. Great contentment because of great knowledge and true knowledge, or as Francis Schaeffer would call it, true truth about God. So Romans 8, a case could be made that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. In Romans 7, Paul talks about his sin. Verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in it within me than my flesh. The willing's present in me, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want, I don't do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. He's conflicted like you're conflicted and I'm conflicted. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Verse 8, Romans 8, here you go. There, you want contentment? Here you go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's unbelievable. Why? Because Jesus took my sin and Jesus paid it all. Yeah, I'm screwed up and you're screwed up. We're all screwed up. But Jesus is a great savior. Well, it's true. We're all screwed up. You know, I'm okay, you're okay. You remember that book? No, no, no. No. I'm screwed up, you're screwed up. But, but you see, what if I go through and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm you know, there's going to be in jail or I deny Christ or I'm weak. All right, here you go. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. The spirit of God is praying for every Christian. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes I'm not even sure of the will of God. If you're not sure of the will of God, just know the Holy Spirit is praying for you according to the will of God. All the time, 24-7. He's praying for you. He's praying for every believer on the face of the earth. Well, I can't imagine that. That's because you don't know God well enough yet. That's not a problem for him. That's no big deal. It's a slight thing. Yeah, but, you know, some evil stuff is happening. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say because all things aren't good. It says God causes all things to work together for good. So bankruptcy, murder, rape is not good. But God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the worst thing that's ever happened to you, God will turn in some way, form, fashion for your good in his way and in his time. And as David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. How can God take evil and turn it for good? Because he's God. That's what he does. For those whom he foreknew, foreordained, the idea is, is for love. In the Old Testament, it'll say that Abraham knew Sarah. What does that mean? They were physically intimate. To know your wife is to love your wife, and it's an expression of love. So when it says he foreknew, he foreloved. We love him because he first loved us. God did not look ahead to see who was going to choose him and then say, okay, I choose you. That's not how it worked. He loved us before we loved him. Those who we, and this is where you get contentment. 
Those whom he foreknew, who foreloved, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, that means God has a plan. He plans for you to know Jesus and to be saved and to live forever, and he will walk with you every day of your life on the earth. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified, forgave of their sins. And those whom he justified, he'll, he'll glorify in heaven forever. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? That's contentment. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how he will not also with him, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then in 24, Jesus intercedes for me. And then 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution? Ah, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it's written. For your sake we're being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus. And as it is, you can get through anything because of who he is. Jesus said in John 8, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's bow. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Every guy in here is dealing with stuff that's heavy and hard. We wish it wasn't there, but it's there. Conflicts Fears within, conflicts without, Paul said. We thank you that you're there. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. May it get a hold of us. May it get a hold of our minds. May it go deep, deep, deep into the recesses of our minds so that we can call on it in the day of trouble. What a comfort. What contentment. What a great God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.